Amen. It's such a privilege to, uh, to speak to you tonight. You know, I, I want to, tonight to kind of work like a laboratory, if that's okay. We'll talk about some things, then we'll try it out. How's that? Will that work? You guys ready for that? Now, if you're, <laughs> if you're like me, you're hoping something's going to blow up, but that's not what, I'm, that's not what we're doing <laughs> tonight. That's, like, that's what I would love to do, but that's not what we're doing. Uh, if you do use the uh, Version Bible app, you can follow along on notes that I've put on there. It's, it's really simple if you've never done it. Like, my phone looks like that. You just click your Bible app, then you go <clears throat> to the menu up on the top left, and then you go to the live button there, and then the, um, the church should show up immediately. It's kind of creepy, but they know exactly where you are. <clears throat> they know which, where the closest live event is to you, and that'll be the one that we're doing tonight. So it, uh, when you hit search for a live event, and if that doesn't work, all you have to do is put in the church's zip code, and then it would, it would get there. So, yeah, Wednesday night at Crown Point, it's, it's real simple. You know what I heard this last week is that the, the people behind that Bible app, they actually had an audience with the Pope. Did anybody hear that? Uh, the Bible app, and there's a lot of great Bible apps. You know, Glow is really good. There's a lot of good ones. <clears throat> um, but, but this Bible app is by far the largest. And what was interesting is, is um, they went and they had an audience with the Pope, and they showed him how to use it. Now, what's interesting about that is, if you know, the church history is that for millennia, the Roman Catholic Church suppressed uh, the uh, individual uh, people from having the Scripture in their hands. And it's, it's interesting also that, they're, that the Pope was slow to get around to even this Bible app, which is spread around the whole world. I mean, they have it in amazing amount of languages and an amazing amount of translations. So just, just really an interesting thing that they met with the Pope this last week. But <clears throat> I want to start off with this. I lived for many years in the L.A. area, and uh, it was always comical to me. We'd have friends or family visit, and uh, they would always want to see a movie star because they just assumed, because we lived in the L.A. area, that we see movie stars all the time. What was funny about that is some of you may remember, anybody remember that show, um, what was the show with the two little girls that played the little girl part and John Stamos was on? You guys remember that? Okay, that was a, that was a test because I knew you would know what it was. But uh, Full House was, was popular at the time. And uh, as it turns out, there was, a, there was a, another pastor on staff. His kids were in my youth group. Well, John Stamos' parents, John Stamos grew up next door to this pastor, friend of ours. Now, at this point, he was already out of the house. He was grown. He's on TV and all that. But he would come home once in a while, and then his parents owned a little burger place in, in a town right next to our town. So we would see him a lot, and he's a great guy, really nice, seemingly humble, good guy. And uh, so it's funny because people would say, do you know any movie stars? Like, well, kind of, I guess. I mean, I don't know if he knows who I am. He doesn't know who I am or whatever, but, you know, and so, <clears throat> but, but it was weird living there because t- from time to time you would run into people. And in the strangest places. Now, if you did go down to Hollywood or you'd go to Beverly Hills, you'd go to those places, you know, more likely probably to run into somebody. But what's funny about that is, even if you think you know them, you don't really know them, right? I mean, you know what I mean. Some people think they know people and then they don't really know them because you haven't spent any time with them. You haven't been around them. And, and it, it always amazes me when somebody famous, uh, like, like even 
You know, Robin Williams, how tragic was that a few months ago when he took his own life? I mean, who knew he was that depressed? I mean, who would know? Unless you knew him, but none of us knew him. I mean, all we knew was a stage presence that he had developed or a movie presence or, or whatever. And we don't really know the guy. We don't know his family. I didn't even know. I mean, I, I remember when all that happened, you know, and somebody, there was a report that one of his kids had asked for, you know, for the news to this or that. And I thought, well, of course he had kids. I never even thought about him having kids or being married or, you know, you don't know that because you don't know him. It's just, that's just real life. You don't really know these people. I think about <clears throat> even preachers sometimes, you know, you have TV preachers who have a certain persona or, or any preacher, really. I mean, you see what, what we do from the stage, but that's stage. I mean, you can be an introvert and be a great public speaker or an extrovert and be a horrible public speaker. D- that those things don't necessarily go together. It's, they're different things. They're different parts of somebody's personality, and you don't really know them. You, you kind of know them, but not really. Not really at all. Um, maybe you, you might have acquaintances. I mean, that's a level of knowing somebody, but it's not the same. It's just not the same. You know, there's different depths to knowing somebody. I think about um, old friends. I, I was writing on a friend's Facebook on their, on their birthday, and, it, and it's somebody who's close in age to me, and I, I wrote on there, happy birthday, old friend, and I clicked, you know, post or whatever. And then I got to thinking about it. Wait a minute. I hope he doesn't think I meant old friend. I just meant old friend because we'd been friends for a long time. I did, I, that's what I meant. And so then I, 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 you know, you can go in and edit your post or whatever. So I put in parentheses, I meant we've been friends a long time, not that you're necessarily old, you know, which, of course, made other people tease him about being old. And later I got to thinking about it, and I thought, well, that's weird, too, because he's one of those friends, and maybe you have friends like this, that we don't see each other very often, but we literally have been friends for 30 years, but we don't see each other that often. I'm talking like once every two, three, four, five years, sometimes goes between. But then when you're with that person, it's like there was never any time passed. It's like you just pick up and you're talking and, and you're laughing about old experiences and you're sharing new ones. And it's, it's like you just jump right into your friendship. And then I have other friends who I've been friends with even longer, like maybe high school friends who I was friends with them 30 years ago. But we really haven't been friends for 30 years. Do you see the difference? I mean, I don't even know them. I don't have anything in common with them anymore even. I mean, it's, I doubt that we would even like each other, judging from what I see of their life even on Facebook or whatever. But, but the truth is, I don't know them anymore. I knew them 30 years ago. We were friends. You see the difference? It's weird, too, how you kind of grow in different paths, and you're not the same. You're not friends anymore. It's just It's different. It's different. And then there's, then there's uh, this. Has anybody seen this on the internet? If you can't read that, I-, I can read it for you. In 1969, these two guys saw a lion for sale at Harrods in London. So they bought this lion because he was all caged up. And then the local vicar, the local church, let them exercise him in the yard of the church. But, you know, lions grow to full size within a year. And he got too big. So they relocated him to Africa which would be appropriate. So there he is playing as a young, young lion with these young guys. And then um, what happened was they tried to go find the lion like a year later. And uh, I, I can't remember exactly how it went down, something like they were prevented. But then 35 years later, you would think, would be, or I don't remember, a year or something. So here's what happens. They find the lion's pride out in Africa. And I was watching this video and I'm thinking, 
oh, I hope it's not one of those, like, you know, <laughs> geographic videos where it's going to be gross. But if you can see this, you see how much older the guys are? Watch what this lion does. I'm right here. I was getting a little worried. But isn't that bizarre? Who would think that a wild lion who's got his own pride now remembered them? It's bizarre. And he's just hugging on them. And this video goes on a while. I mean, he just just cuddling them. I mean, it's crazy. Isn't that weird? I mean, at every moment in the video, I'm thinking, okay, now he's going to bite their head off. But he didn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. It's just the look. I mean, look at that. I think he's right on their throat. But no, he's just loving on them. I mean, who would have thought that he would remember them? I mean, that's a, that's a different kind of friendship. Again, and I know it's kind of out there or whatever, but I saw that a couple of people had said, you got to see this video. You won't believe it. And the people who sent it to me, that's why I thought maybe he was going to bite them. But he didn't. <clears throat> Yeah, mine, we, yeah. Meanwhile, the rest of the pride is circling them. Yeah. Yeah, that's not what happened. But, but as I think through about that and I think about friendship like that and, and a friendship that lasts through years and crosses, I mean, obviously that's, that's, that's unusual. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that if any of you befriended a baby lion or anything. But <clears throat> what I am recommending is this, though. Maybe you've also experienced this where you've been around a couple that has been married for years. I know, I, I know of a few couples that have been married 40, 50, 60 years. They know each other in a way that other people would never know them. You, you know what I'm talking about? Where they'll be talking and finish each other's sentences and, and they'll anticipate what the other person wants or needs without even a comment. I mean, they just know each other to that level of that depth. That's, that's a whole other way of knowing each other. I was challenged with this in my own uh, Bible reading and study and prayer recently, where I want to know God and like that. And I, what I mean by that is I want to know him in a depth that is different than I've known him before, that's more than what I've known him before. And I, I, what I'm putting to you today and, the, and the, the, the laboratory I want you to walk with me is finding out that the more you know him, what is going to happen is it will change you. It will radically, radically change you. So the first way we know him is this. <clears throat> we know him by what's written about him. And I, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I really believe that prayer, effective prayer is really linked to Scripture. Now, I know you've probably heard uh, different things which I'm not really talking about, and those are all true and good things. I'm not talking about praying Scripture. I'm not talking about reading all the prayers in the Bible. I'm not really talking about that. What I am talking about is the more you read about him in Scripture, the more you know him. And the more when you pray, you're going to pray in alignment with your, his will because you know him. You know what he values. You know what's important to him. And you, <clears throat> you know that because you've spent time reading about him and getting to know him in his word. In theology terms, we call that revelation. We say that there was special revelation, Jesus Christ himself, God himself showing us who God was. But then we also have this revelation of himself, which is the Bible itself. I've always respected the Bible. I grew up that way. You know, we read the Bible as kids. I grew up in church where we, we studied it, we memorized it, we learned it. You know, of course, as a kid in kids' church, you're competing for prizes, 
But I still remember things that I learned, you know, when I was six, seven, eight years old, the books of the Bible, those kind of things. And that kind of respect for the Bible is important. But I think now that we're adults and now you get into this stage of your life, what I'm challenging you to do is to have a respect for the word that is a little bit different. What I mean by that is for you to acknowledge and realize that these words that he's preserved in the Bible are the words that he wanted you to have. What I mean by that is these are the very words of God that he wanted you to live on, that he wanted you to consume, that he wanted you to know about him. That makes them special. Now, I know you've been around people that joke around, or maybe they're even serious, and they say, hey, these are the words in red, so Jesus said them, so they're more important. Have you ever heard that before? Or maybe you yourself have thought that. But I'm talking about deeper than that, and the fact that every one of those things were important for him for he wanted you to know he, they're important for him to get to you. I want to take it to another level. And this is the fact that the word of God is actually a very mystical book. Think about this for a minute. When you read the word of God, his voice is coming through that. Unlike anything else you read, you can read a novel and maybe you get to know an author by the novels they write, maybe their syntax or their preferred words or the way they write, or maybe even a book series, which is wonderful. But what I'm talking about is the author of the Bible itself. He literally speaks to you as you're reading his words. Do do you see the mystical part of that? I mean, we're Christians, and a lot of times maybe we think mysticism is Eastern religion or, or Buddhism or Hinduism or some weird thing. You know what? Christianity is also very mystical. And what I mean by that is that as you're reading the Bible, the, the God of the universe is speaking to you through it. He speaks to you. Whether you're holding a paper book in your hand or you're holding an electronic version of the Bible, you are reading the very words of God, and as you read it, he speaks to your heart and mind. There is a mystical connection there that he intended. He intended it. And as you read that, you get to know him in a way that is far deeper than some hippies and a lion far deeper than even that couple that's been married 60 years. It's a communion and a communication between you and the God of the universe. Time. You may have heard this, that that kids spell love, T-I-M-E. Have you ever heard that? Dave Chancellor was just telling me he didn't come to Ironman last night to the men's group, and he comes all the time. He's very faithful to that. And he adds a lot to that meeting. But he didn't come because he had promised his grandson he was going to do something with him. And he was just telling me about it. And, and both of us were saying, that's far more important. You keep a promise to your grandson and you spend time with him. The same is true with your relationship with God. It is a, your relationship with, with God will grow as you spend time with him. Every moment that you invest in that relationship will deepen your prayer life in a way that I can't even explain to you. But it takes effort on your part. It takes some work. It takes some commitment. It takes, it takes you making a decision to give time to him rather than to something else. And I'm not, even talking, I'm not even trying to put any guilt trip and say the things you spend your time on are wrong. I'm not even saying that. What I'm saying is that the time you commit to him is time invested in a relationship with him, which will take you deeper And you make your prayer life more vibrant and more real because of the time you spend with him. It will change everything. It will change everything. 
I was reading in the book of John, and there's a, a passage here which talks about us staying with him, staying with him, spending time with him. Think about this for a minute. If you're familiar with the King James, which I grew up on, it says, abide in me, which means to stay with me. In the New Living Translation, it says, if you stay joined to me, this is Jesus talking, so again, the red letters, I'm just kidding about that, but okay, if you stay joined to me and my words remain in you, you may ask any request you like and it will be granted. Now, this is verse number seven in this passage, but what I did is I, I'm going to put up here next nine verses in a row, so verses one through nine. And what I want you to notice is how many times Jesus uses the word remain. Now, this is Jesus, eloquent master speaker. He could have communicated in any way he chose, but he wanted to emphasize this concept of you remaining. What he means by remain is time. You are remaining together. You're connected to him. Look at, look at this. You see how many yellow words are up there that say remain? There's 11 of them in nine verses. He says, and I'm just going to pick a few out. Remain in me as I also remain in you. You're connected. Fruit, you can't bear fruit by yourself. You must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. If you do not remain in me, you're going to be thrown away. Remain, remain, remain. And then at the end there, now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I met my father's commands and remain in his love. That is not by accident. He wants you to remain, remain. I want to take you just a step further. Praying is more than just us asking for things. And I know Part of prayer is asking for things, and it's appropriate. He told us right there to ask for things. You should ask for things. But prayer is more than that. When, I'm, when I was tying it to reading Scripture, obviously you're not asking God for things as you're reading Scripture. What you're doing is getting to know Him better and getting to know more what you would ask would be in line with His will. And then the more time and the more you remain with Him, it, it becomes more of a relationship. Think about this for a second. Your prayer should be a conversation, but also an encounter, an encounter with some with with the God of the universe. Something more than just a casual conversation with an acquaintance. Think about this for a second. Someone you barely know, you may see them, you may have some small talk, some chit chat. That's great. But that's not what God wants with you. What he wants with you is a deep, intimate encounter something more. He wants a conversation. He wants, he wants something that would lead to you knowing the awe of praising him. Has this, have you ever had this experience where maybe you're praising God and then for some reason, maybe it's because of something you read or thought about, but you're overwhelmed with his majesty and how, how small we are and the fact that the God of the universe cared enough to come down and even create us in the first place. But then when we mess up, he comes to redeem us. I'm blown away by that. And there's times where I'm just overwhelmed. I'm, I'm literally in awe of who he is. And when I'm in awe of who he is, how many of you know that my praise has more meaning? It has more meaning because I'm not just saying words. 
I'm not just repeating praise him or hallelujah, which means praise him. And, or I'm, not, I'm just not saying, God, you are great. I'm saying it in such a way because I am in awe of him as I praise him. And as you do that, and as you find grace and you ask for help, it's a totally, totally different experience. Think of it like this, that when you're in his presence, it becomes a spiritual reality. Not something that's, not something that's just a concept, but it becomes a spiritual reality. Something that you're literally walking in and feeling and sensing because it is real. Because it's real. <clears throat> the more you know him, I love this because it changes our perspective. It puts things in the right order. The way I order things most of the time is me first. We all do. That's just how we are. We're wired that way, self-preservation. But when we put things in the proper perspective, we don't see it that way anymore. We, we reground our relationship with God, and we focus on the fact that he is the Savior and we are the saved ones. We needed his salvation, and he freely gave it. It changes everything. I, it, when we're in that perspective, you can't help but look up because that's who he is to us. We are needing salvation, and he saves. It's proper perspective because we're reminded that we are a child of God. We are a child of the king. I mean, there's times I don't feel like that. There's times when things don't go right. There's times where I feel like I'm underneath and down and downtrodden. And I, I feel like, feel like wh- whatever's going on inside, I just feel, I, I, I don't feel like a child of the king. And I'm reminded in prayer that I am. And the more time I spend with him, the more I, I feel him putting his arm around me and calling me son. I'm just blown away by that. I know I don't deserve to be his son, but he calls me his son. When I read the story of the prodigal son and how he ran away and squandered the money and was living in sin and then comes back to be a servant, and then the father says to him or says to the other servants, get a robe, get a ring. He's my son has come home. I feel that I live that day after day. I love that I get some relief from my own self-absorption. And I realize that it's not about me, but it's about him and it's about others. So how are we going to pray that way? Jesus again said, keep alert and pray. Otherwise, temptation will overpower you for the spirit is willing enough, but the body is weak. You know, I was... I was pondering this verse a few weeks ago, and it just it remi- I was reminded of the fact that God made us. He knows our weaknesses. And knowing that, he told us to pray for help in the middle of the weaknesses and pray that we wouldn't fall into temptation. He told us to do that. I want to... One, one other thought that, that, that just kind of blew me away in the last couple weeks... Um, some of you know my wife, Nicole, and you probably know that she's a, an introvert. And I don't know if you know this, but I didn't know that when I met her. Because, and I was reminded of this even more today. I went to a funeral for her family. Someone in her family had passed away, and so I was there at the funeral today. But she wasn't there, but her family was there. And it reminded me, I met her surrounded by family at a wedding. And so I was in the wedding. She played piano for the wedding. I married 
she, she was friends with the bride. I was friends with the groom. That's how we met at Sheffield years ago. And so when I met her, she was surrounded by friends and family. She, she'd known her whole life. I had no idea this girl was an introvert like this. So lately, she's been posting on Facebook, and I don't know if she's passively, aggressively posting them for me. I'm just kidding. But as I read these things, she's posting these things about, here's what an introvert thinks like, or here's what an introvert feels like. And I was reading those, and I was thinking, I wonder how much this might apply to prayer. The reason I was thinking that specifically is this last week, one of the ones she posted talked about how people like me, who are more verbal, I process out loud. I don't know if any of you do that, but let me skip to that one real quick. She, in this article, she was talking about, or it was talking about the fact that someone more like her, they contemplate, they think about things, they're quiet as they're thinking. I talk and think. Do you know what I'm talking about? Let's apply this to prayer for a minute, because I was raised in a context where, yes, there was out loud praying, but it was kind of distracting to me. So I found, I've, I've kind of found that I can pray, hear me here, okay? I don't mean better quality, like it's be- I, what I do is better than you. I don't mean that. It's better for me, though. I find that I connect with God better if I'm praying out loud. Does that make sense? But I've always heard you're supposed to pray quiet and contemplatively and kneeling. And I can't even kneel anymore with my knees. I can't actually even kneel, for one thing. But, but Nicole would pray better that way. For her, it's really awkward for us to pray together. I mean, I pray out loud. She prays quiet. Do you hear what I'm saying? I don't want you to feel like you have to fit into one of those molds, but instead maybe find what works for you better. I find that if I'm all alone and just praying and out loud, I feel like I connect with God in a way that is deeper and, and more authentic than, than ever in any other way. And if you've never tried that and maybe you, like me, are more verbal, try it. See if you don't connect with God better that way. On the other hand, if you do find yourself more of a quiet person, go for it. We won't even hear you. We won't even notice. It'd be awesome. I put the AM, PM thing up there because I also work way better in the morning. First thing I wake up, I'm ready for the day. It's just, that's just how I am. And I, I know as a kid, you know, we would do devotions as a family in the evenings. And then if we didn't, you know, I would pray. I can't tell you how many times I fell asleep at the side of the bed. And I felt such guilt about it. Like, I can't believe I just fell asleep on God. And, you know, I mean, it just, I just know what works for me. You find what works for you because he wants a relationship with you. That's what this is really about. It's about the relationship. How about this? I've been in, in um, <clears throat> situations where, you know, of course, we pray alone. We pray in groups. There's, there's examples of that in Scripture both ways. But I find, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I do remember, you know, in college, for instance, we had a prayer room. And if there was this one guy in there, I don't want to say his name, but if he was in there, I just wouldn't go in there because I couldn't, I couldn't even hear myself. I couldn't even hear my own thoughts. And he was so sincere, I would never criticize him because he was sincere. It wasn't like he was, he was just praying. But, but for me, I couldn't be around him and pray. Does that make sense? I mean, I, and it's not a bad thing. It's just, it just is. So I, I just want to encourage you, whatever fits your personality, you need to find, find what that is. <clears throat> I want to add one thing to that. Some of you may feel guilt about the fact that you know of very spiritual people who pray two, three hours a day, and that is wonderful. 
And I know other people who find themselves, they connect with God maybe at a short time or maybe many times throughout the day. Now, I think all of those things are important as a spiritual discipline, and I would encourage you to experience those and, ch- and, and challenge yourself to those. Similar to fasting, you know, we're in a 21-day fast where we're fasting, you know, at least a meal a day or more. But I would challenge you, too, at other times to fast everything for a period challenge, as a discipline. But on a regular basis, you need to find what works for you in prayer. With that in mind, I just wanted to close with this verse. Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with what kind of prayers? All kinds of prayers. All kinds of prayers. That gives me chills thinking about it. And requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I don't even know what time it is, but I want, to, I want us to, to, to practice this to practice connecting with God in a way that maybe, maybe one thing you heard tonight was new for you, maybe one thing. But I want you to try to connect with him that way. You may have noticed that sometimes when we pr- invite you down to pray, some pray at the altar and kneel, that's wonderful. Some sit, I might pace around, but that's because I'm talking out loud, but I, don't ne- I, I, I would be distracted if I thought so- I was bothering somebody or some, you know, that's just me. But I want to I encourage you maybe to try something even different tonight that maybe it, you've thought of it and thought, well, maybe that is me and I haven't ever done that. Or whatever works for you and you already know, do that. But what I want to invite you to do is, is, Dave, would you put some music on for us? And <clears throat> I remember one time I was on a church staff and we were having a staff prayer time and, and a couple people were arguing about the music too loud, too quiet. The songs are distracting me. They're like, oh my goodness, people. Can we just, but even then I got to thinking, but that's probably a person who needs to be alone and pray. And they probably should have just found another room to pray in, you know, but I want to encourage us to come and just spend some time with him today. Spend some time with him. Why don't you stand and let me just pray for you. Father, I am so grateful to you. So grateful that you would call.